So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're finally back into our study of the book of 2 Corinthians, this manual on ministry. Uh, we've been away for a few weeks. We've had a couple missionary guests. We had our summer's end celebration. Uh, but today we're back. And, and like I said, we find ourselves at the very beginning of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And, and, and since it's been a few weeks, let me give you a quick recap. We finished up chapter 3 talking about how we unveil the mystery of ministry. And we learned that we need to unveil our communication. Paul said that he used great plainness of speech. So we unveil our communication. And then we also need to unveil our character and take our spiritual mask off before the Lord and, uh, and look into his word, allow it to change us more and more into his image so that the glory of Jesus Christ can shine through us. And that's how, how chapter 3 ended, particularly verse 18. If, if, you, if you want to look there with me real quick, we'll remind ourselves. The Bible says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. I'm not going to take time to go through that verse. Jeff, Jeff did that a few weeks ago. But that, that glass is that, that looking glass. He, he, he told us that. And it's, it's the word of God. And as we spend time beholding ourselves, the word reveals us. And it reveals what's in us. And the more time we spend in it, the more we're changed into his image for his glory. And I mention that, obviously, like I said, as a reminder of where we left off, but also because it leads right into what we're going to study this morning. It's all connected. So today we're going to talk about how we get the new look from the old book. <laughs> Jennifer's cringing right now <laughs> because she knows what's coming. And I've given this title, uh, this message, this title, because I believe we do need a new outlook on what life, what our life actually is, and, and we're only going to get that new look from this old book. And some of you might know this, uh, but there's a song by that name. It would have been somewhat popular in good fundamental Baptist churches in years past. Some of you might know it, and this is the part that Jennifer's cringing about, <laughs> because I'm going to sing it for you. Might need a place to sleep tonight, but other than that, <laughs> it's going to be all right. If you know it, you can sing along. I do make one minor modification to, to the words, but, but that's okay. And I, I think you'll, it's a catchy little tune. Jeff is aware of this also, so I don't think I'm going to get fired for doing this. But are you ready? All right, here we go. Ready? Get the new look from the old book. Get the new look from the Bible. Get the new look. From the old look, <laughs> get the new look from the old book, get the new look from God's word, the inward look, the outward look, the upward look from the authorized book. Get the new look from the old book, get the new look from God's word. So I, I, I'm saying, Wayne, I'm too busy. I'm too busy to help with the praise team. I know talent like this is rare but I only have so much time. Uh, okay, so that's obviously a, a cheesy little song, but I think as we're going to learn today, there is some good truth in there, so you'll have to hang with me on that. 
And as we get into chapter 4, Paul's continuing his thoughts from chapter 3. He's continuing this major theme of shining the light of Jesus Christ as we spend time with Christ. As we are transparent before the Lord and before the world because of his word. Having the look of Christ. And, and you probably don't remember this, but when we started this book, Jeff, just, Jeff gave the introduction. He went through and gave a theme for every chapter. And the theme for chapter 4 that we're, we're kicking off today is that of transparency. And that's what we're going to see, how we need to be transparent before the Lord and before, before the world. And again, it's carried over from the end of chapter 3. So in kind of a nutshell, and I put this sort of one sentence overview uh, in, your, um, in your outline there. Here's what we're talking about. We're talking about allowing the word, the lowercase w, in us to show forth the word, uppercase w, out of us. And Paul tells us that this is our ministry. Look real quick at the beginning of 2 Corinthians 4.1. It says, therefore seeing we have this ministry. See, it starts with the word therefore, and, and you guys know, you know, anytime you see the word therefore, you need to see what it's there for. You guys know that. Well, it, it means it's a carryover from chapter 3. Everything we've learned in chapter 3, therefore, we move on from there. And Paul says this shining Christ thing is the ministry we now have. To spend time in that looking glass, to allow it to reveal who we are. So that we can change, we, we spend, the more time we spend in it, the more we're going to look like him. And the more his glory will shine from us. And so he says, this is our ministry. And, and he had already defined that ministry for us. In chapter 3, verse 6, he said that we've been made able ministers of the New Testament or the new covenant of grace through Christ. It's the ministry of reconciliation that we'll learn about in chapter 5. It's sharing Christ with others. It's, it's just that simple. We learned about it. If you were at the 9 o'clock evangelism class, that was a great introduction to this sermon. And of course, we fulfill that ministry as we allow Christ to shine through us. And that right there, that statement, is really the crux of the Christian life. And it leads to the question I want to ask you this morning. Are you fulfilling the ministry? Or, or let me ask it, ask it this way. When you honestly and transparently examine your life, do you, and even more importantly others, see Christ? Do you allow the word of Christ to dwell in you richly, according to Colossians 3.16, to the point that you are simply a reflection of him? Now listen, I'm here to help this morning, so I'm going to give you some things for you to look for in your life so that you can examine yourself, to see if you are fulfilling your ministry of shining Christ, to see if you have that new look from the old book, that inward look, that outward look, that upward look from the authorized book. But before we get into the details, let's read our passage, and then we'll, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. So we're going to begin in verse 1, we'll read down through verse 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. 
But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we come to you uh, this morning just thankful that, the, that we have the opportunity to be your representatives here on this earth and that you've given us this ministry. I pray that, that we all this morning examine ourselves to see uh, how we're doing, uh, to see if we're fulfilling this ministry that you've given us. And Lord, um, there, there's so many things that we deal with in our life and so many um, things that want to get in the way of just, of just remembering the simplicity uh, that's in you and the simplicity that you have for us. Um, and so I pray that we're able to strip past all that this morning and, and really get to the simple things uh, that your word tells us. Lord, I pray that, that what is said this morning is, is, first of all, true to your book. I pray that it's honoring and glorifying to you. And Lord, I pray that, that we leave changed uh, for your glory. Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I've, I've already told you, I'm going to give you some things this morning to help you uh, examine yourself, to see if you have the right outlook on life, which is your life as ministry. And, uh, and I'm harping on this aspect, I'm going to continue harping on it, of having the right look, of seeing things correctly, and that's because it's how Paul starts the chapter. It's, this is very important to understand. He says, therefore, because of what we've learned, Therefore, seeing, we have this ministry. And like I said, this is so important because you need to ask yourself, do you see it? Do you see that you have this ministry? Do you see yourself as a reflection of Christ? And therefore, do you see your life as ministry? And I want to be clear on this, because you know, words are hard sometimes, I get it. But when we're talking about the ministry in the context of our text, that's it. It's shining the light of Christ to others as an outflow of Christ shining the light of his word in you. That's it. So when I ask you, are you fulfilling your ministry? I'm not asking... How's your ministry going at this church? I'm not even asking if you are involved, quote, unquote, in a, in a ministry of this church. I mean, you should be, but that's not what I'm asking today. Because really, at the bottom line, it doesn't matter. And I'll, I'll, I'll explain why. It obviously matters, but it doesn't matter if you're viewing, unless you're viewing it right. God has given all of us different jobs to do. He set us all on our own individual course. He's gifted us all in different areas. So you can minister in new beginnings. You can minister to the kids. You can minister to our youth. You can minister through discipleship. You can minister to your family. You can minister to the people of your work. It doesn't really matter who you are in front of. What matters and what I'm simply asking is, does your life shine Christ? Because if your life shines Christ, then your life is ministry. 
And God can lead you where he wants you as a part of this church and, and, and lead you into how to interact with your family and your coworkers. It's, is your life ministry? That's what it needs to be. But in order for it to be that way, you have to see it. You have to see your life as his and not your own. And, and I, I just want us to be honest this morning because I know personally, and so I know it's true of you, this is a problem for, that many of us face. Even many of us who are involved in ministry. And it's a problem because we see ministry as something we do and not something we are. You see, our life is to be a ministry for him. But we see ministry as something we do, not something we are. And we silo our lives, and, and so we have our work life, and we have our home life, and we have our church life. And then some of us in that church life have a ministry life. Listen, that's all wrong. If you are a blood-bought, born-again Christian listening to me this morning, you have one life. And that life is Christ's life. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And in that same vein, Galatians 2, 20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, at the moment you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you exchanged that old sinful life for his. And praise the Lord. What? Man, listen, there's no better trade you could have made. And now he is to live through you. That's your ministry. Because that's your life. It's the life you chose. And you've got to see it that way. You can't see this ministry as only something you do. It has to be who you are. So that means your time in his word isn't only for you. It isn't only about you. I mean, again, it's just seeing things, having the right perspective. Because we usually get into his word because we want to learn. We want to be with him. We want to be refreshed. And that's great. You should absolutely want all of that. And when you spend time in his word, guess what? You get all of that. But it's not only that because it's not only about you. It's about getting up. Spending time with the Savior, so just like Moses, the, the example that Paul used in, in chapter 3, when you walk out of your house, you're a shining light. And so let's examine ourselves to see if we're that and to see if we have the right look. And we're going to use that intro song as our guide to see if we have the right inward look, the right outward look, and the right upward look. And if you have the characteristics that we find in our passage, uh, then you're seeing your life as ministry the right way. But if not, you have some changes to make. So let's start with the inward look. And the inward look is that you have strength and devotion, and your devotion to Christ. Look back at verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. So Paul said, we, we faint not. We have strength. The word faint means to be weak or to fail. Paul said, we're not weak. Now, it's because of, of Christ's strength. We'll talk about that in a little bit. It's not his own personal strength. But we're not weak. We're strong in the Lord because we've been given this ministry. We don't fail. We haven't quit. We won't quit. We're devoted. 
Paul uses this same word, the same sentiment, when he's talking to the Galatians. In Galatians 6, 9, it says, Let us not be weary, which is also the same Greek word, by the way, weary. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And to the Ephesians, he said, Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. He said, guys, let's, come on, let's keep going. Let's not quit. Our time to rest, our time to relax is coming, but let's be strong in the Lord now. And that same message is for us too. Because, man, just think about your life. Think about the people you know. How many Christians do you know that have just kind of quit throughout the years? And they got weary. And they fainted. Or, or let's make it personal. Is that you? I mean, maybe you still come, but that's all you do. And your life doesn't really reflect Christ. It's not really a ministry for him. It, you did it for a while. And you were excited for a while. And you spent time in his word, and you were the, the, your, the best way you knew how. You represented him at, at your job and in your world. And it just kind of faded away. And you fainted. Listen, Paul, he didn't. And he's, he says that we shouldn't either. He didn't say, I faint not. He says, we faint not. That's not only to those first century Corinthians he was talking to. God's talking to you and he's talking to me. Because we have this ministry, man, we can't faint. Too much is at stake. And listen, Paul, when he makes this claim in 2 Corinthians 4.1, it's not like the ministry was going that great. It's not like the ministry was all fun and games. In fact, I don't think it's any coincidence that the book of 2 Corinthians is both a handbook on ministry that we've talked about as a theme, and at the same time, the book where Paul describes some of the biggest struggles of his life. I want you to just look at how he starts the book. We're going to run through a few of these real quick. And this isn't even all of them that you find in this book. But this is how he starts the book. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. He said, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercy, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and your salvation. We went through that, but Paul's saying, listen, there's some stuff we go through. We're going through it for you. Down in chapter 2, verse 4, he reminds them of a prior letter he had written. He says, for out of much affliction... An anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but ye might, you, that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. He's describing a time of anguish of heart for the Corinthians. And later in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, he described a time in Troas where he had, said he had no rest in his spirit. 
Then in verses we'll get to next week, in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9, Paul says, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. This is Paul's ministry life, the, the ministry of, that Christ had given to him. This is, this is his life. It's a life of persecution, affliction, of tears. At the end of chapter 4, but he talks about always you see this contrast, how we're going through this, but it's for you. We're going through this, but we're not, we're not, we're not destroyed. We're making it. We're not fainting. And at the end of chapter 4, he talks about how the affliction that they face is okay because it's working towards a more eternal way to glory. Over in chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, he sort of catalogs the things he has endured. Afflictions, necessities, distresses, stripes, imprisonments, tumults, labors, watchings, fastings. In chapter 7, verse 5, he said, For we were, when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. That's his life as ministry. And then over in chapter 11, we really see the summation of his troubles. This is the, this is the description of Paul's ministry life, verses 23 through 28, familiar to most of you. He says, are they ministers of Christ? Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. And labor is more abundant. This is, this is how he defines being a minister. He's like, are they ministers of Christ? I'm more. Here's how I'll prove it to you. In labor is more abundant, stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen. And perils by the heathen, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren, and weariness, and painfulness, and watchings often, and hunger, and thirst, and fastings often, and cold, and nakedness. Besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. And yet, in all that, he fainted not. He didn't quit. He was strong because he was able to see that his life was not his own. And that his life was to be a reflection of Christ and Christ's glory. Because he had the right view, the right outlook, the right sight, he was able to write verses like Romans 8.18. It says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Yeah, what a great verse. But our problem is the sufferings of this present time all too often make us faint. And so we don't remain strong. We don't remain devoted. Because we haven't spent time with the Lord. We've allowed that to fade. And ultimately we just don't see life the way God intended. And we don't see that we have this ministry. We just see ourselves. And we just see the, the circumstances. And we just see the troubles. And we see the sufferings. And we don't see Christ. And listen, having strength and devotion to Christ doesn't mean everything is great. Obviously, it wasn't for Paul. It doesn't mean you don't have bad days. It doesn't mean that sometimes you don't even want to quit. And it doesn't even mean that you don't mess up. None of us are perfect. 
We all have this flesh that we have to deal with on a daily basis. But it does mean you don't quit. It does mean when you want to, you don't. It does mean you keep going. It does mean you keep growing. You're moving in the right direction. You're shining Christ more than you're not. You know, for every one step backwards, you're taking two, step fo- two steps forward. You keep pressing towards the mark. And you do it because you realize and you recognize the mercy that you've received in Christ. Paul said, we have this ministry as we have received mercy. How could I not share it? The mercy that God showed me to allow me to become his child? How can I keep that to myself? How can I not give my life to him whatever may come? As we have received this mercy, listen, that's not something you earned. It's not something you qualified for. You didn't receive it because God liked what he saw in you. He showed you mercy because he's gracious. Mercy is God withholding back something you deserve. Right? So we know the definition of grace and we know the definition of mercy. Mercy is God holding back something you deserve, like condemnation. And we need to recognize that and be grateful for that, for that great mercy. If, if you are a child of God, man, what mercy he has showed on us. What grace he has showed on us. What else should we do but, but live out our life as ministry for him? And so in that context, this ministry is a privilege. But here's, here's our problem. Here's the way we see it. We see this ministry as a burden. We're like, man, I, I love to study the word. I, I like for God to teach me things. But going out and sharing it, that's hard. That's tough. And I get it. I'm not even, I'm not even saying it's not. It, it's even hard for me. But it, it's, it's still a privilege. It shouldn't be a burden. When you view it as a burden, you're not going to do it. Or you're not going to do it well. No, view it. Just decide. Make the decision that you're going to see it the way God wants you to see it. And it's a privilege. I want you to, to listen to how Paul described it throughout his writings. And these are very popular verses. But in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he said, But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. None of these things move me. I'm not fainting. This is, man, this is what I got to do. 1 Corinthians 9, 16, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of for, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 11, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, that I'm not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so ye believed. And then in 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 and 13, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Listen, Paul saw something that we need to see, and it's the great privilege that we have because the great mercy 
that's been shown to us. And if you see it, how could you ever give up? How could you ever lose heart? How could you ever quit? How could you ever become despairing to the point of fainting? When you have such a privileged calling, all by mercy. So when you look inside, you should see strength in your devotion to Christ. Again, I'm not, I'm not saying there aren't times of weakness. I'm, saying, I'm not saying there aren't times of failings. That's true of me as it's true of you. That's true of all of us. But at the same time, you should see some strength that comes from the Lord to keep going and to not quit and to not allow the sufferings of this present time to, to allow you to faint. And then second, second is the upward look. In the, in the upward look, you should see sincerity in demonstration. Now let's look again at verse 2. Paul says again, since we have this ministry, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Okay, now before we dive into this, I want to say... There is so much in, in these three verses in particular. I mean, we could spend multiple weeks on these three verses. Instead, we're going to spend like 10 or 15 minutes. Um, so we're, suffice it to say, we're just going to hit the highlights. But the point of all of it is going back to the theme of this chapter, is that he is transparent and sincere in everything he does in his life. Sincerity is what he demonstrates. Because again, his life is ministry. And he lives it honestly, he lives it openly, he lives it biblically. And according to the end of verse 2, he does it all in the sight of God. That's why this is the upward look. His conscience is clear before men, but also before the Lord. And Paul says this same type of thing later in the book, in 2 Corinthians 8, 21, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Here it's like not only in the sight of men, but also in the sight of the Lord. He, he, he covers it all. And he does that, uh, how he does that is first by renouncing the hidden things of dishonesty. So let me give you a definition. The word renounce means to disown or to turn away from. To disown or turn away from. It's turning your back to. Kind of like another R word that we use. Repent. And we do that to all those hidden things that we have in our lives, that we know we aren't honest about. First of all, we aren't honest with others. But most of the time, we aren't even honest with ourselves. So let me encourage you to be honest with yourself right now. And see if you have anything in your life that's hidden, that is not a reflection of Christ. And if so, renounce it. Repent of it. Seek God's truth in it. So that you can truly understand how damaging those hidden things of dishonesty really are. First of all, to you personally, but also to the cause of Christ. It's what David reckoned with when he was getting right his sin with Bathsheba. In, in Psalm 51, he's getting it right. And in verse 6, he says, Behold, he's speaking to the Lord, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. He knew he had to get God's wisdom in place of his hidden dishonesty. 
And he knew he had to get it because at the end of the day, the, the hidden things of dishonesty that we keep within us, they are satanic at their core. And I know that you don't think your sins are satanic, but sorry, they are. Hidden dishonesty, it comes from the pit of hell. John 8, says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and listen, and abode not in the truth, because there was no truth in him. In the inward parts, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he's a liar and the father of it. So we don't, we don't want to be affiliated with that. Renounce it. Be honest internally. Be a person of integrity. Because otherwise, whether I know it or not, whether you know it or not, Christ's light will be dimmed. I can put on a facade and I might look good in front of you. If I have hidden things of dishonesty within me, Christ will, his light will be dimmed. It's just the way it is. That's why Paul says that we have to renounce it. So don't stay there. There's no way around that. And then Paul said also not to walk in craftiness. Craftiness means trickery or subtlety. And this is satanic also. I mean, all, all three of these are, of course. But craftiness is how Satan operates, particularly in, in our world, in America today. We see the same word that's translated craftiness here in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, translated as subtlety, uh, later in the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 11, verse 3. He says, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, through his craftiness, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And when the chief priests and scribes of Jesus' day were trying to trap him so that they could arrest him, Luke said that what they were doing was crafty. They were trying to trick him, which, which of course they couldn't. But Luke 20, 23 says, but he perceived their craftiness. And he said unto them, why tempt ye me? So craftiness is not a compliment from God. I mean, you know, there's some of us or some of you, not me, some of you are crafty good at getting things done, working with your hands. Craftiness in the Bible isn't a good thing. It's not a compliment, so don't walk in it. It's trying to trick people into thinking you're something when you're not. So be honest and be honorable. And then here's the big one. Don't handle the word of God deceitfully. Now, there's so much that could be said about this. Um, it's what Satan does to God's word. It's, it's what he did with Eve. In his subtlety, he changed, he questioned what God had said. It's been his modus operandi throughout history, throughout church history. Tr his, his whole goal has been trying to pervert God's word, which he has done quite successfully, I might add. Go to your Christian bookstore and just go to the Bible shelves and see how many are out there. It's also what false teachers do because they're following their leader. In Psalm 56, David said this about himself, but it applies to the word of God. David is a, is a picture of Christ. He says, every day they rest my words. All their thoughts against me are evil, or for evil. And Peter talked about this in his second epistle, that rest or wrestle. He's speaking about Paul, but he says, and also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, 
which they that are unlearned and unstable rest or wrestle, as they do also the other scriptures, under their own destruction. And so, you know, there's a couple categories there, and we're not going to take the time to go into it, but you can either be unlearned or unstable. Those are the people that rest or take God's word out of context, handle it deceitfully. If you're unlearned, there's, there's, the, there's a command to help you with that, 2 Timothy 2.15. If you're unstable, you need, you need to repent, and you need to, to not handle, you need to not be a false teacher, and you need to handle God's word respectfully and appropriately. But, but you, me, we do not want to be someone who handles the word of God deceitfully and rests, wrestles scripture, all for our own sinful desires. Listen, people have done this throughout history, following what Satan did from the beginning. Those people certainly haven't shined Christ. And that's our ministry, that is to be our life. And in order to do that, the way God intended, is you have to handle his word appropriately and respectfully. You have to love the truth. And we know that his word is truth, John 17, 17. But don't mess with it. And listen, if you love the truth of God's word, then you're going to be committed to, to proclaiming that truth. And that's the secret to success right there. That's all there is to ministry, really. That's the, even the most important part of preaching, the love of truth. If you take our homiletics class, we're going to teach you a, a lot of good tricks and tips and ways to formulate your message and do all that. And so we, we teach this in LFBI. But you know what the most important part of preaching is? Loving the Word of God. And, and we're all preachers. Romans 10, 14 through 17 tells us this. And the fact is, you can check the progress of a Christian by whether they love the truth or not. And listen, I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. But Christians who are content with human ideas, or who can sit under preachers who preach human wisdom, provide naturalistic therapeutic insights during their 25-minute pep talk, those Christians reveal themselves in themselves a low commitment to what really matters. I don't even want to get into what those preachers reveal about themselves. But you see, in contrast to hidden dishonesty, craftiness, and handling the word of God deceitfully, Paul says he operates by the manifestation of the truth. And let me explain to you what that means. It's, it is an open, clear exposition of the truth by transparent loyalty to the specific revelation of God's word. So without tampering, without diluting, he speaks and lives the truth. And a faithful preacher's world, friends, is a world of biblical truth. And I unapologetically claim to you that the men who stand behind this pulpit and represent this book and represent this church, that's our world. And that is where we live and that is where we move and we work hard at it. And we are not perfect. Lord knows we're not perfect. Not only are we not perfect, sometimes we're not even good. It's, it's probably good that you don't know. But what we are is true to this book the best we know how. And we want to help you lay a foundation of faith in and obedience to the Word of God in your life. And listen, in return, our desire is that you love the truth too. 
and that you long for the truth and that you hunger for the truth and you thirst for the truth like 1 Peter 2.2 2 says. Because if we love the truth and you love the truth, then we can get somewhere as a church. And we can make an impact for the cause of Christ. We can shine his light for his glory. And people will notice. In fact, that's all they should notice. Listen, when it comes to evangelism and preaching and all this sort of stuff, we should be creative. We should, we should uh, you know, work on that craft. But it's not our cleverness that's going to reach somebody, even if you witness to them. It's not the smoothness or your eloquence of your presentation that's going to cause somebody to be converted. It's when truth hits their conscience. That's what the end of verse 2 means. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So I want to break this down real quick. I know we're running out of time, but I, I promise we're getting there quickly. The Bible says that God lighteth every man that entereth into the world, John 1, 9. It also says that God has given us a conscience that has an awareness of God's truth. You can find that in Romans 2, verses 14 and 15. An awareness to the level that according to, to Romans 1.20, leaves all men without excuse. And so because of this, when people hear the truth, and it rings in their conscience with conviction, okay, that's when the Spirit of God has some space to work. Now, of course, that person has to choose. The Spirit of God won't force it upon them. God has not predetermined their fate. But the Holy Spirit now has room to do the, His work of convincing and convicting and they're either going to accept or they're going to reject. And even when people reject the truth, it still has a way of gripping such that they'll run away from it or even become hostile, especially so in these last days. That's why there is such a strong anti-Christian movement in the world in our country today, because the preaching of the simple truth of scriptures causes either re a reaction of acceptance, belief, and conversion, or hostility, because people do not like their conscience being assaulted. But either way, God is glorified, because truth was proclaimed with sincerity and transparency. And it doesn't do that person any good for you to withhold the truth from them. So the faithful preacher has a way of penetrating men's hearts, not because of some ability he has, but because he speaks the truth, and the truth cuts deeply. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit into the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And nothing you say can do what the Word of God can do. That's why you just proclaim it. Nothing penetrates and cuts like the Word of God. And if people are offended by the cut, I hate it for them. But to God be the glory. Because according to the end of verse 2, we do all this in the sight of God. So our accountability is to Him and Him alone. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, Paul said, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. And he does it all for him. Now back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 3 gives us the importance of living in sincerity. Because if we don't, we put the mask back on. 
that Jeff talked about when we were at the end of chapter 3. And in doing so, we cover or we veil Christ's light. Because if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And the word hid literally means veiled. It's right where we ended chapter 3. It's the mask. Putting this mask on has eternal consequences. If you're not sincere, if you're not honest, if you handle the word of God deceitfully, or, or, or let me even just simply say it this way, if you operate in your flesh, there will be no light emanating from you. And your gospel, he says, if our gospel, so your gospel, which is the gospel that has been entrusted to you, you see, there is one gospel, but if you're a Christian, it's been entrusted to you. So now it becomes your gospel to share. It's been entrusted to you, and if you put that mask on and, and you're not honest and you're not sincere, if you handle the word of God deceitfully, it will not go forth. Man, it's, it's this little light of mine. Hide it under a bushel, no. I'm going to let it shine. So don't hide it. Don't veil it. Don't mask it. Shine it. It's the only thing that will free the minds of those blinded in verse 4. Christ's light in you outshines the darkness of the enemy. Because the God of this world, that is Satan, has them blinded. But he, in the same way God doesn't force you to enter his family, Satan can't keep them there by force either. And light's more powerful than darkness. Exactly what Jesus told Paul on the, on the road to Damascus when he gave after, when Paul's conversion testimony, and then he gives him his marching orders. Paul described it like this when he was giving his testimony in Acts chapter 26 and verse 18. It says what he was told, what Jesus told him to do was to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And that's our job too. And we'll only accomplish it if we are sincere in our demonstration of it. And then last, uh, very quickly, we have our outward look. And that is selfless in distinction. Verse 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul says, this isn't about me. We don't preach ourselves. I don't need that distinction. All I want is to be a servant to you that you can see Jesus through me. And so this just gets to our selflessness. It gets to our humility. Because there are people out there in, in, in the midst of, of pretending to represent Christ, they're actually just preaching themselves. Now, come on, man, you know this. We have nothing good in us besides him. And so just as a word of warning, be wary of guys who are always the heroes of their own stories. I mean, a, a good personal illustration in a sermon can be a very powerful tool. But when that's all you hear, you should pay attention to that. And there are a lot of, a lot of preachers that, man, they have, they have you know, they, they can itch some ears. And it's very entertaining. And, and, and what you hear up here from us is maybe not the most entertaining. And it doesn't include a lot of illustrations and examples. And, and you know, we work some of that in. But... Man, we never want to do that to the expense of the Word of God. We want to tell you what the Word of God says. And again, a personal illustration can, can help that, certainly, bring it home. But man, when that's all you're here is a bunch of stories, man, pay attention to that. Are they preaching Christ or are they preaching themselves? We have to be selflessness ministry. And that's why John said in, in John 3.30, He must increase, but I must decrease. And that was uh, actually John the Baptist 
um, who, you know, who was sent to prepare the way uh, for Jesus. And, and now by John 3.30, Jesus is now on the stage. And so John the Baptist knew it was him t- his time to step off. Sometimes to step back. And listen, you are to prepare the way for Jesus. And if you're preaching yourselves, it's time for you to step back. It's time for you to step off. Step off that stage. Let Jesus lead. And, and, and listen to me, Christian. If, if you can't do that, then you're not selfless enough to, to, to fulfill the ministry that God has given you. So don't get into the trap of thinking too highly of yourself. I know the world tells you to do that. But don't buy it. You know, Paul described himself. There's some verses that I'll just go through here. 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he, he calls himself the least of all apostles. And in, in Ephesians 3, 8, he says that the least of all saints. In, in 1 Timothy 1, 15, he said he, he was the chief of all sinners. That's how Paul described himself throughout his epistles. And one of the main reasons why God was able to use Paul the way he did is because he lived 2 Corinthians 4, 5. He understood who he was in light of Scripture and the, and the truth about God. And listen, that's not defeatist thinking. That's not fatalistic thinking. That is victory in the life of Christ. When you can shine him, you win because he wins. See, his strength is made perfect in weakness. And because of that, when I am weak, then am I strong. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. And listen, at the end of the day, what a privilege it is to preach Christ. Why do you want to promote yourself? Give that up. Spend time in the light of his word and let that light shine through you. And when you do that, you have that new look from the old book. And that look is strong in its devotion to Christ. It pulls its strength from Christ so that you don't quit and you don't faint. It's sincere in in your demonstration of his life through you. And then it's selfless. And it, it doesn't need distinction. It just reflects Christ. So let me ask you, do those qualities describe your life? Do you see that your life is to be a ministry for him? Because if not, it is my prayer that you start viewing your life that way today. Let's not faint. Let's live a life that glorifies him. And in these last days, let's go make a difference for the Lord.